So we have other software engineers come onto our platform. Basically, they can come in and build computer vision models, which are, you know, um, basically algorithms, um, statistical models that teach machines how to see things. So it might be, I might hold up a banana in front of a camera and the, the computer vision system, the machine learning model, will correctly predict that this is a banana, for instance. That's a very simple use case for that. So what Fritz is doing specifically is there are a number of different concerns Hello, everybody. My name is Jeremy Franchese, and you are listening to First Floor Conversations, where the view at the top is only as good as the foundation which preserves it. Today on episode 66, we're joined by Austin Kodra. Austin's the head of community at Fritz AI, a Boston-based machine learning startup, which has gained tremendous traction, uh, including the recent Series A, um, really due to their innovative machine learning platform and their technology that helps our mobile apps see, hear, sense, and think all on their own. Uh, so today we're talking machine learning, we're talking community, uh, and we're going to talk about a whole bunch of other stuff. But Austin, welcome to the show. How are we doing? Thanks so much for having me, Jeremy. Uh, I'm, you know, doing doing pretty well. Things are moving like right along at Fritz, and uh, feeling feeling good about some of the different products we have ongoing, some of the different avenues we're trying to okay. build community and maintain community. You know, we've been doing it for a few years now, so we have some some good things already in the you know in the bag, so to speak. But then we got we're building, always building more. So. Um, bigger, more diverse community, things like that. So excited to chat with you today. Yeah, love it. No, appreciate you carving out some time. I mean, when we first connected, it was something, and we'll touch on it, we'll dive in. But when we first connected, it was through LinkedIn, through a, through a friend of mine and, and a mutual colleague, we'll say. Um, so shout out, Marcus, if you're if you're listening. Um, <laughs> but um, guys, everybody that's listening, whether you're on the video uh, or you're on the audio side, thank you for tuning in. Uh, been a cool ride the last couple months, and you're going to start to see some shifts on, on my end of just different guests. And back to the, the core focus is, like, let's keep learning. When it comes to building a good foundation, whether that's relationships, it's a business model. We have to look at the foundation of it so that however high or large or big we want to go, we know that it can stand the test of time and the test of, of the diversity. And when you guys think about community, I think every business, every organization, I don't care if you're for profit or nonprofit, you have a goal of building a community of people that love the mission, that love the vision, that buy into the same culture. And that doesn't mean that they're locked arms physically in an office. They could mm -hmm. be across the globe, but they buy into the same vision. And so we're going to talk about it bunch of different things. Uh, but I do want to start off on, on the basics and, and understand a little bit about you to set the stage. So um, with that in, in mind, let's even carve out like stepping away from Fritz machine learning and business. Where are you from, Austin? Like, What's home for you? So I would say home for me is in East Tennessee. So Knoxville, Tennessee in the, in the uh, Smoky Mountains kind of area. Um, I grew up there from about middle school, seventh grade uh, to through undergraduate college and spent a little time in grad school there as well. Um, so that's where I'm from, you know, like I think it's, it's home. My folks are still there, my family. I was born in upstate New York, moved to West Texas. So I've kind of been all over. Um, and now I'm up in, in Boston, um, where, or the Boston area, Cambridge specifically. But I'm right. from Tennessee, East Tennessee. I always find it's the folks that travel the most are the most, uh, I don't want to say community focused, but it's people that are so used to moving around that are more attentive to how yeah. to bring people together. Yeah. Um, what, what drove, just, I'm curious, what drove the moving around? Was it like military family or was it just college and studies and it's kind of funny. I was actually talking about this with a friend of mine, how, um, you know, initially this was probably back in the, in the early, early to mid nineties, my folks, 
uh, wanted to move from way upstate New York near the Canadian border and they wanted to find somewhere that was hot and dry. They were sick of the climate mostly. Uh, my mom was a teacher at the time. My dad was, had just retired. So they had some flexibility in terms of where they wanted to go. So they kind of just, it was almost like they closed their eyes, uh, pointed to a map in the West Texas desert. Uh, they used one of those old like atlases where you like looked up cities and it was like a profile. Like it was before, you know, you had the, the broad access to the internet and all these different sort of ranking sites so they were just like this looks good and then we you know went and visited there and then we sort of split the difference with Tennessee they wanted to just to you know as we were growing up to be in a place with a state school uh, which Knoxville has the University of Tennessee there so um, and what kind of wanted something that you know they were like oh we missed the seasons you know it's sort of it's sort of they a lot of it was around weather and sort of like um you know, just the, the climate and, and, and then about like us growing up, me and my brother, I lived with my brother and, uh, and yeah. And then we ended up in Tennessee. Got it. Where was your favorite place? Oh man. Uh, you know, West Texas, actually, it was from this age in my life where speaking of community, you know, it was where I felt the most sort of like in tuned with the neighborhood that I lived in, you know, these wide streets kind of, you know, you ride your bike to school, with your friends sort of deal, like very small, kind of small town, quiet. Um, and for that time in my life, it was the perfect way to sort of, um, you know, spend a lot of time playing basketball out in the yard or, you know, just running around with neighborhood kids and things like that, you know, and that right. sort of changed as I got older. But that was probably for that age, seven to 11, roughly, that's a, was such a huge thing for me. Of course. No, it makes a lot of sense. Um, siblings? Are you, you, I think yeah. you talked about this. Older, younger? Yeah, I'm the youngest of six total. So one full brother and then four half siblings. So my parents had been married previously, obviously. Got it. And, um, and now my parents are still together. And then just me and my brother, Evan, who I live with actually in Cambridge, Massachusetts now. Oh, right on. Is he involved in the business? Uh, no, he actually has his own business. Um, he's a he's a climate scientist by trade. So he runs a um, like a data analytics company that measures climate risk and sort of attaches that to very technical, but like the municipal bond market for right now. That's super um, sort of basically just layering climate risk onto like pricing, uh, commodity, different commodities. That is super interesting. That's super yeah. interesting. But you guys are both detailed oriented. You can tell. I'm curious. So, so you moved around a lot. Um, and obviously, like, you know, I find your background incredibly interesting. Um, you know, and, and I got I to gotta be honest. Like, one of the first things I wanted to touch on was like, how does an English major, poli sci minor, you have a master's in creative writing and poetry, you indulged in a second master's in clinical mental health and counseling, like, it's all very communication based, yep. um, but I'm really curious, like how does a English major poli sci creative writing focus end yeah. up in the world of machine learning? <laughs> That's a great question. Um, and not something I would have ever predicted for myself. I think the thread, you know, you mentioned communication. I think the thread that goes through that is, is that sense of communication and community. I mean, community is part of a huge thing of what I do, you know, um, in grad school for creative writing, we had a lot of writing workshops, um, other kinds of ways of building community around the, the craft we were partaking in, you know, um, and the same thing with the mental health, the, the graduate degree, I, I did some coursework in as well, you know, you're, you're investing yourself in um, the, the communities of the, for me, it was adolescent kids I was working with mostly um, on, a, on a mental health level, you know, you're investing in those communities as well, um, in, in that as well. So, you know, I have this sort of background of, of finding different ways to form community around creative pursuits, around wellness pursuits. And so, you know, I, when I moved up to Boston, um, I sort of knew I was good at words and good at talking, but like part of it is, you know, um, 
the creative writing degree is sort of you're either going to teach it or you're going to find something else that you can do. And, uh, you know, a lot of folks from that aid era went into sort of the content marketing space. And my niche was within that is uh, in, in the sort of building a, uh, a developer community for uh, machine learning. So I had no experience coding. I'd never touched code before. I'd never I didn't know I could basically be like tell you the buzzwords about what AI and machine learning were, but had no real sense of it and sort of uh, you know, the, the, the way things happen sometimes, a little bit of nepotism with someone my brother knew in his network, but uh, sort of um, just hit the ground running with that and just was tasked with building this developer community that was sort of focused on, you know, the technology space that we were in. Um, and then it's been history ever since. The communication side, because mm -hmm. so, so you're essentially, are you essentially their CMO? Like you're, you're in charge. Like, I know it's not, I, I wanted to ask, because I'm, I'm actually yeah. curious on, yeah. on how, what the line is, because I did a lot of the research and it's yep. heavy on content. It's, but it's yep. not, it's, I don't want to say it's thought leadership because thought leadership in my mind speaks above the community, right? Mm -hmm. It's, it's company perspective relative to top line ideas. And then the community is beneath in my mind, thought leadership. You guys provide content in an essence that feeds the community directly as Absolutely. opposed to a biz dev. It's really like, here's the oxygen through insights, information, strategies, and, and different perspectives. Sure. And then you accumulate, you know, you pull it together. Like, so, so I guess for, for me, like what is, what is head of community in your mind? What does that mean? Um, so for me, that's, it's, it's essentially um, our, our main hub of our community. Um, and because it is a global, mostly online community, we just don't have the capacity to necessarily do in-person events. And obviously, you know, with COVID and everything, right. um, it is our, our publication. It's a, it's a blog essentially, but we sort of treat it as a publication with that sort of, you know, respect and, and attention. Um, and so we, we basically built that from the ground up and it's contributor led. So it's global. We, I, I couldn't count the number of countries. It's probably in the twenties of countries that we have representation from. Uh, so all over the world, all different skill levels from PhDs to students to, you know, CEO level, uh, contributor led. And so we've just sort of built that from the ground up. I mean, it was a lot of boots on the ground, just like defining a value system for our community. You know, the openness, the sort of, um, attaching it and, and detaching it from our bigger parent brand Fritz AI um, and then doing boots on the ground like outreach just finding people who are writing in the space that we want you know finding the folks who are writing in ways that we want to feature and and giving them an, a new platform um, you know what's unique about our community is the tech space it's it's the combination of the mobile side and machine learning so there's a niche within kind of this bigger tech space that we were able to sort of find folks to speak on um, and it, you know so it's 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 the, it is the ground floor through which we build all of our sort of understanding of content and and what you know then what does sort of down the road drive that business value um you know not every post from our community is directly linked to our business and we want to keep it that way we want to keep those associations you know we want people to write about what they're passionate about in this larger technical space um and then sort of you know th there's uh you build an identity around that. And then, you you know, we have folks now who have been working with us for all like two and a half years who, you know, one guy's written two eBooks, um, you know, based on the posts he's written in heartbeat, he's, you know, started doing data science courses. And now, and now, you know, he's, he's ready to go. And we, you know, when we're like, Hey, this is a piece of content we need, he's right there. And we're working in, in partnership and it's a true partnership where we're each valuing each other and, and sort of have built that over time. And so it's a lot about trust and it's a lot about that, like that foundation from the beginning. 
Got it. I got a number of questions I want to unpack, but for for those, and, and just so you know, and for those listening, you guys know I take notes throughout because I do this selfishly to learn. Like machine learning matters. And and I, I think people need to understand that machine learning is not this esoteric thing that that smart people like this thing is a fundamental tool and 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 a a way that will impact how we operate as humans mm-hmm. forever right so but for me i'm not that informed on it and so i'm, I'm going to be jotting things down as i go and i hope you guys listen and are able to jot down and learn and and, and apply whether you're in the technical side of it in a development ecosystem yep. or you're just curious what's happening in the world around you as a consumer um for those that don't know, what is Fritz AI? Just starting from a high level. So Fritz AI is a, um, a SaaS company. So we are a software as a service. So we are a developer platform. So we have other software engineers come onto our platform. Basically, they can come in and build computer vision models, which are you know, um, basically algorithms, um, statistical models that teach machines how to see things. So it might be, I might hold up a banana in front of a camera and the the computer vision system, the machine learning model will correctly predict that this is a banana, for instance. That's a very simple use case for that. So what Fritz is doing specifically is there are a number of different concerns um, when you want to put those models onto a mobile phone. So the the newest in flagship mobile phones, they have these like processors that can handle these models, the size of them, the speed of them, basically providing on sort of on device experiences that make your phone more powerful. So if you think of something like, um, you know, you're, you're typing on your keyboard and you get predictions of like what, what word you're predicting that you're going to type next, that's a machine learning model happening on your phone. So it, it powers these experiences that um, either make things more efficient they provide a bit of expertise. So one example of this is like, we work with a company that um, basically detects skin lesions and then connects you with a dermatologist based on the nature of those skin lesions that the computer vision model scans and says, oh, this is acne. Here's a customized treatment for you. So it sort of takes that expertise where you need to go out and find a dermatologist and puts that expertise in the palm of your hand and access and wider access to those things. Um, there are a bunch of things I could talk about in terms of the, the benefits of on-device AI versus um, sort of more traditional AI and machine learning. But that's the essence of it is that we're trying to, you know, give developers a way to build these machine learning models that will allow them to create mobile app experiences that are transformative, you know, um, you think of things like Snapchat or TikTok or these sort of content creation platforms that allow you to do all these crazy filters on your face. The building block of those are experiences are machine learning models. They map your face, um, they create a mesh of your face, they have object tracking, things like that. So um, that's what we're trying to do is trying to make that process easier, more accessible, because it is hard. Machine learning is this esoteric thing where you're like, that sounds really complicated, it's a lot of math. We're trying to abstract a lot of that out for its AI and make it so that someone like me who's never coded before, you know, can build, test, and, you know, not necessarily build a full project, but sort of access this technology and democratize it, you know, to places where it's, it might be too expensive for folks to access or it might be too complicated. We're really trying to strip that down and, and put it into people's hands. That last piece is really interesting. The, de- the democratization of complex ideas complex technological ideas you know that that is because you're right there is a there's a barrier to entry to complexity when there appears to be a a a, how do i word this a knowledge gap and a core and a skill set gap right because 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 the thing is i i think and 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 this conversation has become more and more apparent as as the the current state of covid has reduced Mm. uh 
the the you know enrollments in 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 school secondary schooling MBA programs I think dropped twenty one percent from an international to U.S. Uh, wow. MBA candidates I think since COVID, um, which is a massive a massive decline, right? Um, and, and and so uh, but a lot of co- you know a lot of co- executives in in, in Fortune five hundreds and and the Elon Musk's and and the Microsoft you know exa- they're starting to come off and say look access to information is limitless it's just the will to go learn but mm. there's an intimidation factor with things like machine learning ai and complex uh uh systems because where the question where do i start comes into play yeah. <laughs> right it's it's one of those functions of building the biggest building in town but knowing that it does start with building of putting a brick down no matter how you shape it. And so you guys are building a platform that allows really anybody on any level to at least start to interact with machine learning and a capability where they create a more intelligent, autonomous computer interface predicated on whatever the, that core thing's supposed to be doing, whether it's, you know, assessments from a medical standpoint or content creation. Okay. Absolutely. Super, super interesting. And so let me, let's take a step back then, right? Because that's an idea that when I look at your background, Austin, you went from uh, you went from school and then quickly came into Fritz, right? So was was machine was was machine learning AI and these types of concepts of interest and something you sought out because building community is a really really difficult thing to do. Just mm-hmm. like point, like I don't care if it's a podcast audience, if it's a blog right. audience, yeah. the retention of attention is a challenging thing. And yeah. you guys have done a really nice job. You have so much content. It's so much valuable content. It's not bullshit. Right. You're not just, oh, shit, what's going on IG today? Like what's going on? You know, your blog is is it is rich with with quality information. Um, Hmm. I'm curious, how did you land in the in at Fritz? Did you seek out the company or was it relationships? Because I can't see that being an easy thing to build without an innate interest in the topic. Yeah, I, it, it was incidental. I, I was not at all interested in AI. My, my brother is a data scientist by trade. So I had some sort of, you know, th- those fields are related. So data science is sort of the foundational math that underpins machine learning, which is like a, a diff- sort of a different iteration of the same field, essentially. Um, there's a lot more to say, obviously, on that. But no, I didn't. I, I kind of came into this just by happenstance. You know, um, I, my, my, I think that the thing that's been the most difficult about that, too, is that having to learn and it comes back to this idea of community is i'm not a developer and i you know we're ostensibly marketing to developers on a broad business sense and so part of that is like learning the developer audience and building a community of developers of which i don't know how they talk i don't know um the vernacular kind of right they're having vernacular i don't know the i had to really just spend a lot of time reading the submissions, reading articles, reading other articles on other publications when we were getting started just to understand. I, Cause I don't want to come to these people and send them a form email. And it sounds like, I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. So I, 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 there was a lot of um, initial building of my own, just from the ground up knowledge in terms of like, how do people talk about this? Like right. what kind of language do they use? Um, and th- there's also the global element of like sort of the multicultural competency of like, understanding that different people respond differently and you know learning how not to take those things personally and then build those relationships maybe a little more slowly than you might you know down south in Tennessee where everyone's having a good old time and and is happy and is like well how you doing you know it has that sort of more affable friendly um so it's just like you have to reorient your mind to a different group of people and I think my lack of understanding of machine learning and AI made that a particular challenge no of course it's a a complicated thing to approach and and, and one of the, the pieces that I find so interesting is, um, and I'll, I'll preface this, 
don't fact check me. This is my perspective. It is not something I've read, but um, when you're, I find it common with folks that are incredibly technologically capable, communication skills are often the more challenging skill set to adopt. Yes. So building a, a develop a community that is designed to be communicated and and fostered around a community of people that are not as capable of communicating effectively, that that in itself is an odd variable, right? Like they because they're so so damn smart in in what they're doing, but how do they project that outward, right? Yeah. And so um I, I you put out a I want to touch on one thing. So you put out yeah. a me, a medium article um back in like 2018. I don't even know if you remember this, but there's something that I saw that really caught my attention. Um and you said more or less, um, you know, you've always thought community was something that forms largely by happenstance, where people are involved um, and connected through discrete and clear purposes, like socialization, relaxing after work, meeting new people. And you go on to talk about um, sustaining and growing community over time. Like you've learned it takes quite more effort than hanging streamers and making the punch bowl, right? And the, <laughs> right. And But I kind of appreciated that because it talk, it's not about the carrot and the stick, but it's about getting people to come is more than what the incentive is. There has to be something richer than the treat at the end of the the walk. And so with that being where your head was at in 2018 and thinking about this is going to be a lot more than just giving them something interesting to poke at, how, how do you feel it's developed from there? Yeah, I think I've been able to sort of use when I was, you were asking this question and I was thinking about, I, so when I was in my creative writing program, uh, I actually got to teach writing for a number of years. That was just like part of the deal. You got like a stipend, you taught like English 101, 102. So foundational sort of rhetorical uh, structure, like writing structure. And so one of the things I've been able to offer is a sort of nurturing relationship to folks and helping them become better at what they're writing. And I think, you know, you're not gonna capture everyone like that. We have one-offs, folks who come in want, you know, to publish something, it's very discreet, it's one-off, but we have several people now, we have a, you know, a solid group of folks who I've just seen their progress, like, become, their writing has become so much more rich, so much more structurally sound, and I think there was a, there was a deep patience I had to have with that. Um, It wasn't checking, you know, drafts off a list, it was really digging in and, and leaving a comment on the draft that's like, I think, you know, structurally this isn't working, and x, y, and z, and sort of using this background I had in teaching and sort of, so you're providing and through teaching you form relationships and, you know, in trust. And if, you know, if I were just checking drafts off a list and just doing small copy edits and not looping in the writers and making them a part of the process, um, you know, and a lot of, a lot of blogs do that where they just, your post will be live when it's live and we'll maybe tell you, maybe not, you might see it. You know, I want to be in constant contact with folks and let them know every step of the way what's happening easier said than done all the time. But basically, you know, I think those those few things is like the constant communication, the patience, and then the sort of skills I learned teaching around, um, you know, adding that into the mix of like, you're getting, you know, you're getting help from someone who like cares about you and your work. And I think like, over time, that makes a difference for people. And they might not see it right away, but over time, now I have conversations with folks who are in our community who are in our product, you know, in Fritz AI's product, playing around and giving me product feedback. And we're like, we're good friends. You know, I had someone who bought my poetry book and sent me a journal from Pakistan. And there's just some amazing relationships I've, I've made just by that, that kindness of, of offering that expertise in a patient and, you know, conscious way. And I think that that's been huge for me. It, make, it makes a lot of sense. You're treating 
contributors as employees and investing in their development, which in an environment where contractors are, are really almost thrown to the wayside as a commodity, it it differentiates the entire approach. Um, Let's, let's start. I want to talk about uh, the preliminary, the early stages. Did you guys get funding immediately? Like what was, I'm I'm curious just from a front end standpoint, a couple, two and a half, three years ago when you guys really got up and running, um, Mm -hmm. Did you guys immediately pitch ideas, get funding, put some infrastructure in place, and then start community? Like, because it's kind of the chicken or the egg. Build the community before the product, have a product. Like, what was that like? They were kind of side by side. So I, I came on board, I would say three or four months after the initial fundraise. I'm, don't quote, I mean, well, you are quoting me, so I'm going to be recorded on that. <laughs> no, but like, no, you're, you're not good. sure exactly when that was. It was in late 2000, mid late 2017. I came on uh, very late 2017, early 2018. So, mm-hmm. Um, we knew, and I was fortunate enough to have this buy-in from our co-founders that they knew they wanted to build a community from the beginning and it, it was built into the roadmap. So, you know, we, we definitely had a, you know, an MVP of our product and sort of our core initial idea of what we wanted to do with that. And, but right alongside that, we were building community. So we were populating, you know, our own, our, our blog with our own sort of internal content. And my task when I came along was like, all right, go figure this out, go find people to write these articles. Um, you know, craft the outreach messages, understand their concerns and what, you know, like learn this technical space. And so it was, you know, a lot of software companies, I think, um, kind of come to community and marketing stuff later. They think we'll build the product, then we'll find the correct paid channel and we'll just dump a bunch of money into it. And that can work for some businesses, especially if there's a very, very defined market. But for ours, it was sort of, you know, blue ocean territory. Like nobody was really doing this in, in the production level, uh, putting real products out besides like the big players like Snapchat, Google, all these kinds of um, big players. So we knew that, you know, and I was lucky to have this buy-in where I could just really build this and, and have that freedom, you know, to say, hey, we need to build this developer community and really invest in brand. And that's a part of investing in brand. And that is like you're talking about is foundational because if we didn't have that now, now that we're trying to do more stuff with our, you know, I'm doing more product marketing as I grow into my role and more things around traditional marketing funnels and things like that, if your audience is familiar and to have that backing from this community and to be able to support them um, allows us then to go to that community when we, when we're struggling with something or we need coverage on a topic and, and clearly I know who to ask. I, I have six, seven names that are, you know, they're, they're part of the Fritz family, you know, and, and I like to, to think of them that way. And, and we all do as a, as a, as a group. So it, it was, yeah, they were, they ran in parallel tracks and uh, there's always been the backing and the investment, which I know I've talked to other marketers who are like, it's, I got to always argue ROI. And we were like, we won't, we won't know ROI for a couple of years on this because there's a found, you're not going to, you know, your first to a year of blog posts, you're not going to be able to exactly track what leads to revenue, right? And, and and that takes a lot of faith. And I appreciate that our co-founders gave me that faith and gave the faith to our developer community to sort of like keep building that. And, and now it's starting to come to fruition, you know, two and a half, three years later. It's incredible. There's a difference between branding and marketing. Yes. Right. Branding is the connectivity between the brand and the people. And marketing is what gets the people to buy from you. Like the right. tactical thing that moves people down the funnel. Right. Marketing right. marketing creates demand so you can capitalize on the demand. Brand yeah. is them not needing for you to sell them because they understand what you stand for and what you do. 
Yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, someone, we got tagged. It's just like you see these things start to happen over time, you know, like someone was writing a sort of industry report on edge AI, which is basically like edge devices. So mobile phones would be a part of that. So like the, the intersection there. And I saw this, this tweet, he was just like, I'm writing this industry report. And then some, you know, it's like any, any cool companies that I should know of. And, and someone I don't even, I don't even know, but is like, Oh, in our broader ecosystem, our, our community tagged us in it. And so, you know, there, there's, there, there's something to that where like, you know, even people I don't know have come across our brand, whether it's through content or whether it's through, you know, our consistency with like newsletters or with, you know, um, all, all kinds of content efforts and, and, you know, just consistently building that into what we do. And, and it allows you, know. you to bridge the gap between guessing and knowing. The truth is that the hardest thing is people spend so much time developing a product that they don't actually know if it's, there's a product market fit. Because they spent so much damn time in the basement building something from scratch, but they never talked to their customer. You guys are doing both. Your your community is market research and branding at the same time. It is, yeah. And our like to, for for just actually a, brilliant. A, thank you for a bit of context there. I mean, we started Fritz AI right alongside when Apple and Google, sort of the two biggest players in the space, released their capabilities for this technology. So very Got very it. very new. Um, and so that more traditional process of like talking to customers or users was a little bit more difficult. We just, it was, it was blue ocean. Like we just didn't have those folks. So the way we sort of found that signal was through building these relationships with on the ground with like mobile developers or machine learning engineers or product managers who were working on these kinds of products and, you know, not selling them a product right away, but slowly building relationships and trust with them so that when this market does start to mature, who, who are you going to call, you know? Uh, well, that's, a, that's, I mean, you're probably so deep in Reddit and, and, and so many <laughs> other communities, right? But that's about getting involved. Like when we work with clients, um, and we've talked about this, like, you know, the agency I'll run, like we, we, uh, we do a variety of things, but one of the things we, we, we started doing is when people work with us on a retainer, like we hire people or we have our staff, the whole job for that employee, that person is being logged in as that company on all of their major accounts engaging in the community. They're not posting, they are commenting, engaging as a okay. member. That's it. Because you need to show you can listen as much as you can talk. Absolutely. And, and so, but when you say boots on the ground, that's what I think about. I think about you spending time messaging on people, commenting, hey, this is a really interesting perspective because of this. And it's not a bullshit insight. It's not like a like and be like, cool post, bro. It's like you're actually processing and giving them genuine feedback because I think a lot of people forget that if you were in a room with somebody and they gave a 20 minute keynote, you came up and said, Hey, really like that. That was cool. And then you just stared at them. They would not think of you as something other than just checking the box. But if you yep. show up and you say, Hey, Austin, that was a really interesting perspective on this thing. And I like your approach here. You start a dialogue, but people forget that when in digital, like that's all your, it's the same thing. Yeah. When yeah. you when you leave a really thoughtful comment and and it, you show that you actually consumed what they put so much time and attention into, that's where you build. Is, is, so let me actually say beyond my rant there, like is that what you were really spending a lot of time doing in the early stages of getting involved? Yeah, I mean we we built it now. I think to where it's sort of an, an engine where um, we don't have to do as much of that. You know, it's self, yeah, it's self self propelled. You wouldn't want your, someone for three years be working on just the, that sort of approach, but it it did very much help with that. And I think, you know, I, that's something I very much also value in my personal life. You know, when I, when I want to, you compliment someone or, um, I, I try to do it in an observational way that is, that is deep to, you know, what I see in that person. And I, and I think the same can be said for a piece of content or a, if someone has a question that they post on Twitter that I have a resource for, you know, it, 
I, I want to contextualize everything. Like that's just how my brain works. And I think like that has really served me well in building this community because it allows me to be, that's just sort of a detail oriented, but it's also in that observation. And I think it, it, it stems from my personal, um, very interested in people and the sort of very particular parts of their personalities. And I like to talk about those things with them. And I think that just extends into the work. I think that extends into my interactions. You know, I spent a lot of time writing like really personal and like heartfelt emails at first to try to get really just like get the people we wanted to write for us. And, and it wasn't disingenuous. It's just, you know, it was just, you can want something and be authentic at the same time. That's the heart. People feel like because you're asking, it doesn't mean you're also, you're not giving. You can ask for things, but the way you do it is, is everything, right? It's, it, you know, and, and um, that's really, it's really interesting. So I, I'm curious, right? So there's a lot of companies and running and marketing and did a full service agency all the time. I'll, I'll talk to people and they cannot distinguish the, the branding long-term marathon. It's not a ROI quantitative conversation relative to return on ad spend with Facebook ads, right? Different conversations. You're two and a half, three years into building community, something that for most partners to your, your, your point of view and, and at large, a lot of founders have a really tough time investing in that part of the business because it's going to give you zero return for a little while. Um, what do you kind of, what would you say to somebody if that, that runs a company that's early stage tech SaaS similar game and is apprehensive because they feel like it's just going to suck the money out of their, their fundraising, like, or maybe they're going in to raise money and they want to say, this is why we need, like, like they're going to VC saying, we need a half a million dollars to build community, develop product, hire engineers. They're nervous because they think that the community de devalues their ask. Like, how would you help them overcome that? I think you need to kind of go through a process where you understand, and, and I don't, I don't think every business needs to start with a developer community. I think in a lot of businesses that can come alongside, uh, there are certain industries where the, the problem is more defined, the solutions are more defined and you're trying to frame up an MVP very quickly and start getting user acquisition. So it might right. not be, you know, you might build community on the back end of that once you acquire a bunch of users and build a user community. So I think the important thing is sort of working through a process where you actually map out why you're started, you're, you want to start a developer community or a user community or a whatever, whatever form of right. community, you know, that makes sense for your business. Um, I think you have to have a, a plan and how it's going to mature over time. You know, we, we have, uh, you know, it didn't, hasn't necessarily turned out this way because of a number of reasons, but you know, we had an early roadmap where we wanted to invest in community to the point where, you know, someday, and I still think this is possible where we could have sort of like live events that focus on this tech, this very particular technology and have that user base. So I think, there's a couple of things. I think you need to define the sort of the, the, the why questions, and then you need to have have a roadmap that aligns with your product roadmap and understand and understand how to communicate about like, you know, if you invest in community early on, you can leverage that community to then um, help your product enter a new sort of um, right. arrow, they're, that next phase that you need to get to. Yeah, they're non-equity partners at the end of the day. A good quality community is a is a micro partner that has no financial investment in the business, right? Yes. They want you to win. They value your input. They're willing to engage with you so that what you put out creates a dialogue. It doesn't end the conversation. And they're inclined to give you authentic feedback. So when shit doesn't work and you need real honest feedback, you can go to your community and they're not going to break, right? Like, and it's no, no different than a, a new a new company. Like, if you're a new business and you're working with somebody, 
there's going to be growing pains. It's not because the relationship may not be there, but because you're a young company. Even if you're three years yep. in, implementing a new pro- partnership, acting on a new deliverable, it's it's not about having core companies and skill sets. It's having the appetite to navigate anything short of perfection. Good community is the insurance policy against that adversity, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so how do you define su- a su- success with a community? At this point, is it... Con- you can jump. Yeah, oh, jump, jump I was going right to just add one thing to the last. Yeah, thing you please said, jump on in. You know, there's the external in- benefit where it contributes to roadmap. It contributes to this sort of brand. It contributes to all these things. But I also think there's an internal cultural thing that's happened at Fritz where it's taught us to consider business questions. You know, with a you know, and it's broader marketing, but sort of a community and marketing focus to the big questions. And it's not a tag along. It's not a thing you tack on like, oh yeah, we need to like announce that product feature. It's like from the moment we're developing a product feature, we look at it in terms of, you know, obviously engineering and products roadmap, but we also look at it in terms of like, okay, how does this impact our community? How do we communicate it to our, our uh, different email lists and community? And then how can we leverage the community to help us build that and help us share that with people in a way that's genuine and, and reflects the sort of value system we built. So it is a internal value system as well. Um, so okay. then what makes a successful community? I think there is that in, then the internal culture piece, I think is, is part of it. And then the external piece is that, again, I think, you know, you have to, I think it, it helps you build your brand in the way that you want. So it helps you build a value system around your brand and not be the sort of amoral or um, agnostic sort of uh, player. It also, um, I think, can, you know, it, it, we're starting to see it now. I mean, I can't give you any numbers or anything. But we're starting to see the ROI now. It is a long play at ROI. And if you can be, have that patience and if you believe in your product and you believe in your market, um, th- there are ways to, it, it, makes, it makes the downstream marketing so much easier. I'll <laughs> put it that way. It makes marketing now, product marketing and all the different things we do just so much easier because we spent all that time building playbooks, building uh, how we share content, what, you know, what sort of channels we use, how we use them, the brand voice. Cause you're, 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 if you're constantly sharing content and, and speaking with these, these share these stakeholders, not shareholders, stakeholders, then you sort of build, build that voice. So then when it comes time to like pitch your product, you're not yelling into the void. You have a built up audience. And even if not all of them are going to convert, you're, you're getting much more volume and, and you're getting much more visibility and your chances of, you know, getting that post trending on Hacker News or Reddit or whatever are much higher because you have this built in sort of network effects as well. So it sort of builds network effects, I think. So I think it's kind of a, there's a few different threads in there, I think, but that's, that's how I think of it. It's interesting. What's the investment? Uh, are you involved at all in the VC side of the house? I'm curious. What... No, I'm okay. not in the biz dev. I, I, I do a little bit of market research here and there and things, but I don't do much with VCs. You're, no. you're good. I'm, I'm more just, I'm always curious how people that are very finance focused perceive abstract concepts like community, right? Yeah. Um, but that, that we can indulge in. Um, so when, when you're developing the community, it's, it's content focused, right? Just so we can get down to the, the micro components of it. It's content focused. So the heartbeat, which is the name of the blog, uh, or the, or the publication, excuse me. Yeah. Right. No, okay. <laughs> um, no, but there's a distinction, right? Uh, you know, I, I, I really, I do think that there's a little more integrity behind it. Dovetailing off the concept of integrity. Do you feel that at this point being featured as a Fritz uh, as a heartbeat published published piece is a stamp of approval on the end of the contributor. Do you feel that there's a level of credibility that comes with that publication relative to just putting it out on their own? 
I, I, I believe so. One is because we work through an, um, a pretty intensive editorial process. We work through a design process. So there's an aesthetic quality to it. So there's, there's some sort of consistency there um, that, that we sort of ensure. There's also, you know, the, the proof is sort of in the pudding with this too. I mean, you know, I've had, um, I, you know, I've, I've had numerous folks ask me for letters of recommendation where they want to talk about our work together and the publications together and have used it as springboards to, you know, either enter degree programs or try to get jobs, you know, and, and sort of use that on their resume. Um, and, I, and I think, you know, when whoever's reviewing those resumes clicks over and sees they're, they're not seeing a, just a, a blogger.com like kind of janky looking thing. They're seeing something that's professional quality that's attached to a real brand and a real company that has a legit, you know, that has legit traction. And I think all of those pieces, you know, they might matter in, in degrees, but I think they all matter. And, and it, and it gives them a relationship to rely on. You know, I, I'm, I love supporting my contributors, whether it's, you know, helping them edit their eBooks or um, writing them those letters of recommendation. So it also gives them a foothold. And frankly, um, I don't, you know, I don't know the, you know, I want to put a value statement behind this, but a lot of our folks, like I said, are, are not non-US, you know, um, and to be associated in that kind of way with a US startup that's venture backed that is in a major metropolitan area that has some weight to it as well. You know, you can say you're a contract or a, a contributing writer for this official publication and a company in the US and for some folks in, in you know, um, up and coming parts of the world, you know, certain di different countries like that's a huge deal, you know, like that's that's nothing to to laugh at and we have and we do, we have the, the chops to back that up in terms of our technical team and, and sort of our editorial like chops and, and the process that we go through and the legitimacy of it. So yeah, I think all those pieces sort of come together and, and are valuable. It's impressive, man. It's really, really impressive. So are you, are you on a, uh, from a community standpoint, like where do you see it going? Obviously live events is a component of it, but yeah. in the interim with COVID and everything and it being such a virtual and a global play um what do you see the development of the community and your focus looking like over the next six to 12 months yeah uh, that's a great question um one thing we want to focus on you know now that we have this sort of engine we have a little bit more time to and a little bit more flexibility around like you know the kinds of content we work with um you know at first it's just like you're just trying to so trying to get people in the door and there's a certain volume play you make to sort of, you know, then, then it sort of windows down. Um, yeah, I think the next steps are, are more diversity in our writers. Um, it's a male dominated field, you know? Um, so we're trying to find pathways to that. One of those is through a new product, uh, part of our product that's connected to Snapchat actually. Um, and there's just like a lot of creative uh, artists who build these filters lenses, they're called, in Snapchat. And we have a tool that allows now uh, these folks to build machine learning models that they can use when they're creating these lenses. And I think that community is much more diverse just generally in terms of their age range, their uh, backgrounds, their gender, like all these, all the sort of demographics. Like we're definitely looking to kind of reach outside our comfort zone um, in terms of diversity and to offer just a varied assortment of content that features that diversity in terms of longer form interviews, um, thinking about working with video content, you know, in, in some way or another, whether it's featuring, featuring video tutorials or um, helping folks build their video brand, so to speak, uh, yeah. contributors. So we're thinking about different content types and, and then also like who's behind that content. And I think for right now, that's sort of our, our main focus. And then eventually down the road, looking into things like, okay, if we, if we're, you know, if we're still, if we're in this space and we're, we're the, the preeminent name, then it, then you start thinking about live, like spinning that into live events, right. develop conferences, um, 
federated networks of meetups around the world, you know, like those kinds of things. It's a, it's a bit of a ways off, but I think you, you just keep building each piece of that puzzle or like putting each piece of that puzzle together and you, you end up with something where you can kind of scale it in different ways. Yeah. And it, and it allows your, your, again, there's, I, it's the same way I look at building a podcast audience. And we talked about this in our first call. Um, if, if my, like, I look at it, like if, if everything I did failed, the, the agency I had to close it. I lost my job. Everything failed, but you have a community that's almost more valuable than my mind than a 401k. Right. If, you know, like in the sense of the insurance policy against the unknown, if you have a community of people that love, trust, respect, and admire what you're doing, then you have the ability to make a lot of progress in a short amount of time relative to your immediate resources of capital time. And yep. so if your product needs to pivot, but you have community, it, it's the insurance policy against the pivot. It's like, they're still with us if we change, you know? Yep. And so I actually like that as a pitch relative to working with investors, you know? It's like, <laughs> look, at the end of the day, we have this community here. So no matter what we're doing- we have authority, we've got all the things that go along with that, right? SEO ranking, like right. we, we just, our, our shit goes a lot of times like straight towards the top, you know, it's, it, it works out that. There's, that was just one example, but you're right. A lot of things it's, like that. It de-risks the entire deal because it's like, look, our pro we have two products, community and our actual platform. Really? Um, yeah. Super interesting, man. What's what, what's been the most challenging part of it? Like, of, of when, like, and I, I'd probably segment it into two things. One is pre-having the community, like starting from nothing, and then what was that? And then what was the first plateau you hit of success, success, success? And then it was like, damn, this is either slowing down or you had to shift the strategy. I'd love to understand those two sides. So the biggest, two of the biggest challenges early, one was of course for personally learning the language and sort of like we talked about earlier, sort of learning that world, learning that language, how they speak, how developers speak. And the second part was getting to a point, and I remember having multiple conversations about my frustration and I just told like, be patient, it's gonna get there. We, we've, you know, we've done our due diligence. This will take 18 months to two years. We're basically getting to the point where I don't have to go out every week and like headhunt essentially and go find new writers and new content that we have this stable of, of excellent contributors who are stoked about writing for us, who ask for our input about topics, who write about our product, all those kinds of things. So getting to that point was, was very difficult. And then sort of moving into where we're at now is the hardest part I think is in a, in a, in a way that's deft and, and it feels genuine and it feels real is shifting into this area where we're now saying, okay, like we're pulling back a little bit on how much content we're publishing just by the nature of, of kind of our, some strategy decisions. But one of those things being, okay, we want folks to write more about our products now specifically. And so figuring out that transition has been difficult while we're also doing a lot of the product marketing stuff that a maturing company, um, maturing company does. Right. Uh, so I think that's been really challenging is to, to do that in a way that feels genuine and isn't like, okay, now we're shifting into this marketing thing. Like, no, it's still community, but, but we want to encourage you. To, we think our product is at a point where it provides enough value that there's substantial like content to be had there. And we want to encourage you to do that and, and it, just challenge yourself and, and sort of reach outside of what, you know, what we've done traditionally. So that's been interesting to try to communicate that with folks and to try to kind of bring them along into that new strategy. Um, and I, I think so far we're, we're doing pretty well, but there's still, I, I think bringing in that more the, the diversity and, and more sort of varied content will help with that as well. Yeah. It, it's one of those functions of you want to build community, but you don't want to build an, eco, an echo chamber. 
where, exactly. where everything's just repeating and it's affirmation centric. It's everything's yes, this, yes, yes, yes. Um, I'm curious, do you guys pay your contributors? Like, is there any monetary gain for them? We do. Yeah, we do. Um, it's, okay. it's, it, it varies, it's, I'm sure. It, what's that? I'm sure it varies. I was just more curious on like the what's in it for them component because, you know, like for example, I got a buddy that, you know, if he's listening to this, um, I, he has a blog he writes and he, he take it literally is, is designed to make complex ideas simple and he tries to keep it 500 words and it would yeah. be 500 words, machine learning in 500 words or this economic thing. And it's, but it's one of those things where I think there's an appetite for dialogue. There's an appetite for the conversation around these types of things. Um, there, but you're right. The diversity where the making sure there's different ideas and there's a diversity of perspectives so that it's not just rinse and repeat, but you know, shifting through. Um, so I'm curious because you're, you're basically like when you look at the customer of the community, they're not buying, but your target people, they're writers, they're contributors and who else? Well, a lot of them are developers. So, so that's the issue. That's the thing, right? Is, is most of our contributors are developers. So that's sort of where you got back to that point about like teaching, like helping teach them how to communicate more effectively, how to say, okay, before you jump into this process, you have to give some context first and sort of like helping them build that skill set. So, you know, we're help, we're paying them because we believe it's work um, and you're contributing to the success of a company. I think, you know, if you have the capacity to pay people for content, I think it's bullshit if you don't. I love like, you. Yes. It is work and it is, yes. we are benefiting from your voice and, you know, it's not a king's ransom, but it is, it is a, I think it is a gesture and a gesture of goodwill. And as far as I'm concerned, we'll always do that. We'll always pay um, for contributor work. It might change what kind of contributor work we, you know, we accept and work with, but we always do that. It also gives you the permission to have a, a very strong due diligence process and have a standard, right? Yep. If you don't pay people, but you have a design standard, a uh, 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 writing concept, or a uh, 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 not a design standard. A uh, what was the note I took down? It was oh, just the editing process. You were you were saying it, it, you you're just an asshole if you have a really strict process. But then it's like, well, I'm doing free work for you, and you're beating me up over the details relative to now. It's like, hey, we'll pay you, and we'll invest in your development. And yep. then it's it's a it's a it's a good two way two way street. Um, it doesn't flexibility when we need to slow things down, or maybe some days we have internal content and we need to you know bump someone to a couple days. Like th there's that common understanding of that we're we're here for you, but you know there's also this you know it, there is that reality too. So it gives us some flexibility and it, and it allows them a framework to understand our relationship. How much of the content is is contextual to the timeline it was it, it was published? relative to like it just being it, it's something that can be looked at and valued two years after it was published um it's a it's a it's a mix i would say it's mostly sort of evergreen content where you're working with tools that um and and tutorial a lot of like technical tutorials that using certain processes that maybe shift a little bit or had different versions of a piece of software or slightly different something here or there but things that um sort of are broadly appealing um and then to, to the, the like search terms we want or keywords we want. Right. And then there's, I would say maybe 15% of it is a little bit more timely. So we cover like Apple's events usually where they release a new phone or a new iOS or, or Google right. event or so mostly things around industry related mm -hmm. events. And sometimes I'll do like little case studies or something like that about a product or a mobile app that, you know, is using machine learning or something like that. But it, I would say it's, it's close to that, like maybe 80, 20 split. Have you considered, uh, reviewing the data of the, the the top 10 20 pieces and then creating video content on that and creating a, li a library based on the top things people are paying attention to yeah i mean i think if we we were going to invest in that my sense would be we would want to do that 
experiment with that on uh, the Fritz side first. Um, so we're starting to kind of dip into video, like video tutorial type of stuff. Right. We want to see how that sort of performs with stuff that's closer to our business, just because we don't necessarily have a process and a workflow for um, converting those things into video. And we're not sure that the, it, it, our, our top performing articles sometimes are a little bit separate from like our actual product. So right. it might be, like, here's this, this sort of like core data science article that is like foundational information. If you're just learning data science and machine learning, we want those folks in our community too. We want them to, to know that, you know, we value, we value this, the, the foundation that you have to build to get to the point where you can build it, build the same thing for, for mobile, you right. know, for a mobile app or whatever. So, um, but no, we haven't dipped into that yet. Just it's partly because of sort of constraints of just the early stage lead startup type of deal. But that's an interesting idea. And I'm just, I have, write it down. <laughs> no, I just, I think de-risking the, 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 uh, the, uh, the, the process of creating content, you know, like that's why with the podcast, like I, I'll take a long version but then when I chop it up into 20 pieces, you know, like, the, like, uh, Mehdi, who is the chief investment officer I just interviewed, like mm -hmm. I, I sent him a zip file, uh, with 29 pieces of content because it, yeah. it was, you know, and we'll see what we can repurpose from this obviously. Um, but, but it was, you know, you get 12 videos and then you format them for IGTV, then, you know, Facebook and whatever. And you, you start to see, and it gives you a lot of metadata to understand and I'm metadata, that's not the right term, but you're like, Oh, that one video, like when I interviewed, you know, that one thing took off and then it's like, all right, that kind of feeds the rest of it. Right. It's the same right. thing when, when companies run ads, they, they over index on one piece of creative, whereas yeah. cut the budget in half, target the same audience with two pieces of creative. It's not about AB testing. It's about like, what are they responding to? Right. And, and, you know, it, it's, uh, so I just think, cause you guys have a, a lot of content where the, the, it's really a, an anthology of information more than it is just yep. a news piece. Right. Um, yeah. what are you, um, so as somebody, I, I I'm curious on this as we kind of tie up loose ends here. Um, mm. somebody that's not like you and I, we don't, I'm not a programmer. I have never written a line of code. So in the, in the, in the, in the line of machine learning and what that is, to people you and I, and probably the people listening that, that may not know or have any development experience, what's something about machine learning that you're curious about as a adjacent mm. citizen and not an active developer utilizing it on a day-to-day -day basis? Yeah, when I think about this, I mostly, I do think of the problems with it. Um, I think about bias in modeling, right? Like the sort of idea that like, well, it's a computer system. It obviously is just spitting out the correct information. You know, an AI model, a computer or a computer vision model or machine learning model is going to be reflective of the data that it trains on. And if that data is biased, if it's racist, if it's sexist, if it's not featuring, you know, um, a diverse range of, of faces, if it's facial recognition technology or these sorts of things like that sort of end up in surveillance systems, I'm very wary of because a machine learning engineer and a machine learning engineering team has a very particular makeup of like who they are and their biases and their life experiences, statistically speaking. So things like that really, really great at me. And then on the other end of the spectrum, I think is like um, making, the, the positive is sort of like making these experiences, you know, whether it's on mobile or any other kind of software, just so much more seamless. The, the best machine learning is, is hidden from the user. You don't know what's happening. You know something cool is happening, but you don't know that it's, it's not screaming at you. It's machine learning. So on the one hand, you have this sort of concern about like the generalization of, of models and how they work on like diverse populations that I'm worried about. And then on the other end, I'm like, wow, but if you get this right, you can really power some seamless, amazing experiences that create better working conditions for people that um, augment, you know, um, 
entertainments that enhance gaming, you know, um, that all, all these sorts of things that culturally we uh, are, are cornerstones of our culture can just, it's, it's like adding a little bit of spice to them and a little bit of expertise or a little bit of just like that, that, I don't want to say magic, but just a little, that little like, ooh, that's, that's different. Like that's a little sleek different. And I, I think, um, you know, my, my, my wanderings, my mental wanderings are somewhere in that spectrum. Yeah. And I think time will tell, right? They're, they're, to, to your point, computers are only as ethical as their builder yeah. in, at the end of the day. And so as, as, as long as there's, there's differing opinions, there's going to be a, you know, the architect who's building, it's going to have a perspective on what it wants yeah. it to be capable of doing. But so, without any, any bias at all, it's going to be a thing that matters. And absolutely. at the absolutely. end, at the end of the day, uh, I think if, as we kind of sign off here, like, Awesome. Thank you for, for spending some time. Machine learning is really interesting, right? It's, it's something that it does matter. It's, it's something that most people just like Bitcoin people like I hear about it, but I don't know how to conceptualize <laughs> the tangible thing that it is. Yeah. Um, and to your point, oftentimes the average consumer can't distinguish what is and what is not machine learning. They just see the filter. And so, um, I love the idea of the democratization of complex technological ideas through collaboration. I really think that's super interesting. Um, and a couple of things that I took down. So for those that are thinking about building community, right? One, value the contribution of those you're, you're leaning on to build a community, whether it's compensation or it's investing in their development. You guys do both, but I, I think that's important. Everybody wants free, cheap labor, but if they're giving you something that's truly valuable, then then value that contribution. Um, have a process so that people understand how they fit into the bigger picture. If it's an editing process, a design process, when people feel like something's, they're a part of something that is naturally happening, then Absolutely. it makes them feel like they're in the right place relative to this doesn't feel like they know what they're doing. Have a process that's defined. Uh, have a roadmap and expectations for where you want the community to go so that you have the parameters of what success looks like. But also yeah. don't be so stubborn that you aren't flexible enough to pivot as you develop the process or you develop the community. Right, you know. Right. I think one thing that you shared a lot and maybe didn't say it outright was, you know, be okay listening, even though marketing feels like talking. Yes, right? absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and learning what you're listening to and what you're hearing, you know, and really internalizing that over time. And it, it, you got to be patient with yourself too in that. Definitely. And, and be honest about knowing what you know and don't know, right? Like if I pitch a deal in an industry I don't know a lot about, I'm going to tell that customer, hey, I'm not that familiar with the bio, this space, this thing. So when, yeah. we, come, when we come to telling the story, I want you to know that I, this is what I'm going to spend my time understanding because the vernacular matters, the, the community matters, because at the end of the day, the host of the party has to feel from a guest's perspective, like they themselves belong at the party. Absolutely. And, Absolutely. If, and if and if it doesn't make sense, then it's it's not going to last, right? And so, um, super interesting. Uh, Austin, anything you want to close out on where people can find you guys uh, and any details relating to, to, to Fritz that's top of mind or top of the news line? Yeah, um, fritz.ai is our website. Heartbeat.fritz.ai uh, is our uh, blog. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the thing we're really excited about right now, and I mentioned this is the Snapchat piece, um, th there's some really cool possibilities there in, for folks who even don't have, you know, we're working with the creators, artists, we're really trying to abstract things out for them and we're seeing some really cool stuff there. So you should expect some good things from Fritz around 
building uh, machine learning for Snapchat lenses. So you might even see a Snapchat lens that was uh, built with Fritz AI here in a little bit. Who knows? Love it. Can't wait. Uh, head of community at Fritz AI, Austin Kodra. Thank you for joining uh, everybody. Y'all know the deal. My name is Jeremy Franchese. This is First Floor Conversations. The view at the top is only as good as the foundation which preserves it. Uh, and when it comes to, to the world we live in, machine learning will absolutely be a foundational component of the world we live in. And so thank you for providing some insight. Everybody else, stay tuned for more.